And actually, a lot of the arguments are, why are you so angry or triggered? And he'll say, no, I'm not. And then we get into this argument about if he is or he isn't. But by that time, both of us are triggered. We have done this. I've said, look, it's too much for me. Can we talk about it tomorrow morning? It's those, those situations that hurt the most because they come out of the blue and then when I'm relaxed and then I can't, you, I can pause and walk away, I suppose, but then that's it. That's, I don't want to sit next to him anymore. I hear this from my neurodiverse couples all the time, that there's this expression that looks like the angry I could kill someone expression, but the meaning of that expression and the meaning of his tone was just so misunderstood. But I also have this, what do you call it, memory vacuum or something. Things will happen and my brain just sort of registers it. And then after a while, I have no memory of it because it decides ah, this thing is not important to me. Mm. If you're really strongly triggered and you're feeling that fight or flight really kick in strong, you push that pause button and say, I'm feeling triggered, but we need to come back to this. I love that. I really do. <laughs> I'm happy already. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 13 of your Neurodiverse Relationship Podcast. And today's part two of my conversation with a couple who is neurodiverse. And if you missed part one, be sure and go back and listen to that where we had a a really incredible conversation about how this couple tends to get stuck in their conversations. And this is really a cycle that I see in a lot of neurodiverse relationships, this, this cycle of getting stuck and not knowing how to get out of it. And today we're actually going to talk how, about how to get out of that cycle and what to do. And I'm going to go through some really specific strategies that I shared with them on how to get out of that cycle. But be sure to go back and listen to their story because it's really going to be relatable to so many of you. Hello and welcome. I'm Jody Carlton and your host today. I'm neurotypical, which means I'm not autistic, but I've spent my entire life in relationships loving people who are autistic. Moreover, I've spent the majority of my career educating about autism and helping couples bridge the gap in neurodiverse relationships. But this podcast is for you. It's a place to talk with me, to share your struggles, talk to me about your wins, your challenges, your victories, and also hear from other professionals who really get it and understand you. So what will we talk about today? So let's get back to the question that you had about how you said that when you're in this moment, nobody's going to push the pause button. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit, give me an example, tell me a little bit about what leads up to the moments when you believe that you are now engaged in a way that neither one of you is going to be able to press that pause button? What's led up to that point? It could be, actually for me, it's those really insignificant things. It's when I'm really relaxed, things are good, we're about to do something fun or enjoyable. And he says, he talks to me in that way with that look on his face. He also is very expressive with his hands. So there's some very sudden, abrupt hand movements. And it's just like, how can you do that now? What's the reason? So it's, so one example I actually gave on the course I did 
for, for wives of husbands on the spectrum is we were sitting down to watch TV and we have our snacks, we have everything's good, we're about to watch this um, show in the middle of some series and we can't find the remote control. And after a couple of, oh, where is it, where is it? My husband will suddenly turn around and talk to me in that way. And that's when it hurts the most. And then I will say, and because I'm hurt, I will say, how can you do that? And my emotions will go through the roof and I think, now, how can you, you know, why are you angry? And you'll say, I'm not angry. And I'll say, yes, you are angry. Right. And, and actually a lot of that, a lot of the arguments are, is why are you so angry or triggered? And he'll say, no, I'm not. And then we get into this argument about if he is or he isn't. But by that time, both of us are triggered. So I think for me, it's those, those situations that hurt the most because they come out of the blue and then when I'm relaxed and then I can't, you, I can pause and walk away, I suppose, but then that's it. That's, I don't want to sit next to him anymore. And the evening is gone over something really small. Okay. So are you familiar with my communication program? No. Okay. I'll just tell you briefly about the four stages of communication that I teach in, in this communication model. And what I'm hearing happening is you're getting tripped up in stage three, which is the meaning, stage two and stage three. So stage one of communication, I break it down into four really distinct stages of communication and, and how, we, how we really get disconnected at each stage. And stage one is what we bring to each interaction. And what we bring to it is very rarely addressed in all of the communication models out there from what I've discovered. So this is who we are, our brains, our personalities, our values, our goals, our expectations, our anticipations, our narratives about ourselves, about our partner, our relationship history our values, our goals, everything that we are actually, it's like our, we think about our baggage, right? Our baggage. <laughs> it's like our suitcase of everything that we are as a human being, we're bringing to every single interaction and it influences every single interaction. What I'm hearing from you right there, that example, you're expecting, part of what you're expecting is this enjoyable experience. We're sitting down, you mentioned it's the nicer moments. We're about to have a nice time together. We're going to watch a movie. You are expecting to have a nice time. So that's part of what you're bringing to it. And then stage two of communication is how we actually interact. And this is what a lot of the focus goes to how we interact in, in communication training, what we say to each other, how we say it, how we do it. And so what happened there is you said he spoke to me in that way. And I'm not real sure what that way is, but I'm hearing that it was a way that felt hurtful to you in some way that seemed harsh or abrupt or to you, you're describing it as angry. And he's saying, no, I'm not angry, but it, that's how you interpret. That's, that's what mm -hmm. the expression was. He, he used a tone. You've said that you're an empath. So there was an energy to it that you interpreted as harsh that didn't meet that expectation of warm connection that you were bringing to this. And, and this also was prompted by the fact we can't find the remote control, which is a irritation for anybody who's trying to sit down and watch TV. So 
we're trying to to do this thing. We can't find the remote control. I'm a little irritated. So maybe he's irritated. And he says something in a barky tone. Feels uncomfortable to you. So that's stage two, how he actually interacted to you. Stage three. Now, this is where you really got tripped up in this interaction. That's the meaning that we assign to our interactions. The meaning that we take from it. And what the meaning was that you took from that was hurt. You felt hurt. I feel like I've been attacked. Attacked. You felt attacked because then you started asking him, why would you speak to me that way? Why would you do that? Why would you do that right now? Felt maybe a little betrayed of this. Why now? We're about to connect. Why would you do that right now? The meaning you also took is that he's angry. He's And he's saying to you, I'm not angry. And so the meaning right then What's happening in that moment, that's where the disconnect is happening. You guys can't see me, but my hands are are coming farther and farther apart. You're seeing him as angry and attacking you. He's saying, I'm not angry. Maybe he's irritated about the remote, but he's not angry with you. He's got that look on his face, which may be an autistic expression, which I hear from my couples all the time, that there's this expression that you've just described as the murderous one. And that's why I was chuckling, honestly, uh, because I hear this from my neurodiverse couples all the time, that there's this expression that looks like the angry I could kill someone expression. And, And that's seriously why I chuckled when you said murderous. That really may have been so much more about him not being able to find the remote than about you at all. But the meaning of that expression and the meaning of his tone was just so misunderstood. So you got triggered there. Yeah. And in that moment, the two of you didn't have the tools to clarify what was happening. And you got triggered. You went into fight or flight. He didn't know how to clarify to you. So he goes into fight or flight. The moment is ruined. The evening is ruined. You don't want to sit beside him anymore. And then now, stage four of communication is how we remember our interactions. This is how we store it. This is like the file that we save in our brain is our memories. So you each remember this interaction, how you each perceived it. And you click save in your brain. You you store a file. And you're each remembering this interaction the way you perceived it from your point of view, from your perspective. So one of you perceived it as I got attacked and hurt in a moment that we were trying to connect. One of you is perceiving it as I got criticized for what I said when I wasn't angry and I I got misunderstood and that's not what I was doing. And I don't understand what happened. And now that's saved in your memory bank. And now we cycle back to stage one because that's what you bring to the next interaction. You bring that relationship narrative. Do do you see how that works? All the four stages? Yes, I do. But I think there is a slight difference where we do discuss it afterwards and we both realize where the other one was coming from. Okay. So when we store it in our kind of memories, there is that kind of learning there as well. But in the heat of the moment, sometimes it's hard to behave. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Because that's what I teach people to do in the beginning, because most people can't 
interrupt that cycle in the very beginning. So they're learning how to, after the fact, do exactly what you just said and say, okay, what did we do there? What happened there? Then you update the memories. So you bring new memories to the next interaction. Now, how do you prevent it from happening going forward? That's the tool that you want to learn how to, to use. So in that moment when it's happening, stage three, the meaning, that's when you're starting to feel triggered. If you're really strongly triggered and you're feeling that fight or flight really kick in strong, you push that pause button and say, I'm feeling triggered, but we need to come back to this. In, and, and I recommend using timers. I say, okay, we're wanting to watch TV. Let's set the timer for 15 minutes. Usually 20 to 25 minutes is all we need to come out of fight or flight. If, if, unless you're just full blown there already. If you can stop it before it's really full blown there. Just say, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling a little triggered right now. Let's just set an alarm for 15 minutes and come back. Because when we go into fight or flight, our body chemistry actually changes. Mm -hmm. We dump adrenaline and cortisol into our system and our heart rates are sped up and our respiration is sped up. That chemical process has to metabolize. It has to have time to metabolize. We probably need to leave the room, go take a breath, go to the basement, <laughs> take cover and come back and then say, okay, what did you mean by that? Can you clarify for me? I've taken a breath. I'm not in fight or flight anymore. What happened just then? And then we use our reflective listening techniques, which you may or may not have learned yet. But this is when we, we learn how to listen to what our partner's saying and reflect back what we're hearing. What most people have a tendency to do is want to share what we were experiencing. So mm -hmm. one of you has to go first. But whoever goes first, the other one has to commit to reflecting back what they're hearing until it's really clear and they've got it. They're clear on what the other person is saying. What most couples really struggle with, because I, I do this in private coaching, we practice it and, and everybody's okay. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. That's cool. I'm good. We're good. And then everybody listens to their partner and then responds and says, what I was doing, I'm like, hold on. You didn't, re you didn't reflect back what you heard. That's the part that people struggle with. I would love that. Yeah. Actually, I love the tip about the timer. We haven't tried that. So for me, the walking away is great. But when do you, you know, when do you come back? What kind of walk away is it? So setting the timer is really good mm -hmm. because you, know, you can agree a set amount of time and say, okay, we'll reconvene. So I think that would really help yeah. me. What we have done is we've said, look, where I've said, look, it's too much for me. Can we talk about it tomorrow morning or something? No, you something. just say later. No, don't, so there's no end. I really like this kind of, okay, let's come back in a set amount of time. Does that seem doable? Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Yeah, because the open-ended later or even tomorrow morning, it, it's not definitive enough. Mm -hmm. And timers are definitive. They're going to go off. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it go off. And now what you want to do, though, is give yourself plenty of time. So if you don't feel like 15 minutes is enough, then you may want to say, I need an hour. Or I think I need until tomorrow morning. But you want to give a specific, can we talk about this tomorrow morning at breakfast? Not just tomorrow morning. 
But can we talk about this? And, and you have to know that you will be eating breakfast together tomorrow morning versus just later. I love that. I really do. <laughs> I'm happy already. <laughs> Part of the reason why she doesn't want you to just walk away is because it leaves too much potential to remain unresolved. Yeah. yeah. And I know part of the reason why you are afraid to come back to it is because of the emotional overwhelm. You probably want to walk away and go, I'd really just be okay with us not coming back to this at all. Yeah. So there have to, there has to be some boundaries too, some rules. I call it rules of engagement. I didn't invent that. But when you do come back to it, there also needs to be some time limitations because something else I heard him say, or you said, is that it can go on and on. So when you do come back to it, you also need a timer there and say, okay, all right, we're going to talk about this and we're going to set a timer for 10 minutes and somebody start and you take about five minutes to say what was happening for you there. And then I'm going to reflect back what I heard, make sure I'm hearing you correctly. And then I'm going to tell you what was that I was experiencing. You're going to reflect back what I'm saying. We're going to make sure we're clear and we're going to get this done in 10 minutes. I love that as well. I love all three of those principles, the kind of setting a timer, the reflecting back and limiting the amount of time. Do you find I do often ask um, him to reflect back what I've said, but it's not something I think I feel like a bit of a nagging wife when I ask him to do that because I don't know if he's understood or not. How do you feel about that actually saying back to him? I think that sounds like a good idea. I think when it happens, when you ask me to reflect back, it's at that immediately at that point. Yeah. So I can't at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, sometimes when we're discussing things, I just say, okay, what do you understand about this? So yeah. I think, which can trigger you? Yeah, but I also have this, what do you call it, memory vacuum or something. Things will happen and my brain just sort of registers it. And then after a while, I have no memory of it because it decides ah, this thing is not important to me. Mm -hmm. So it happens. And because a lot of these things, these disagreements, uh, or these triggering events sometimes start from very trivial things, my brain has already put a lot of that st stuff away. So when we come back to it and talk about it, which we have done, I have memory gaps, literally. Yeah. She has to tell me, oh, that, but this is what you said. And I'm like, oh, really? I said that. And I realized when she said it, I realized it was the wrong thing to say it, but. Well, but, you disagree that you said that first. Yes, I do, because I don't have no memory of it. Yeah. And I have to, to validate what he's saying there because that's a very legitimate thing that happens with autism. And I know that can be really frustrating for my neurotypical folks because it feels you're just saying you don't remember. You just it wasn't important enough for you to even remember this conversation. But what you just described, it's a very common thing with what we call working memory or short-term memory and the way memory is stored in the brain. And so that's not uncommon at all. I think we understand that. And I've learned to understand that sometimes we will have to go over things again and again, but how many times can you, I think our, our number is usually three. Mm. I say something and he's can't remember. And then I come back to it and sometimes he still can't remember most of it. And then the yeah. third time it usually goes in. So is that acceptable? That's quite hard for someone to hear. It's all, you know, 
for me to keep telling him something. So is that an acceptable way to do it? I think another, to answer that question, I think another thing that would be really helpful to, to both of you is what I call my two or 10 battle busters system. It's the way that I, I teach couples to decide what you even talk about, what you even come back to, because there are a lot of little micro misunderstandings that happen in our relationships. And if we come back and try to clarify everything, it, it just, it's like a plate that's, or a glass of, that's overflowing. And there's just too many. And really, I'm going to just say that those of us who are neurotypical, who have those trauma backgrounds, have more of a tendency to want to revisit all of those things because it hurts and we want to go back and talk about them. And I'm raising my own hand about that. And I've had to learn how to let go of the smaller things and, and to prioritize what really matters, what's really important here. And so I have this method of it's, it's called my two or 10 and I call it two or 10 because it's a ranking scale and 10 is a deal breaker. It's we've, I can't live with this. I can't live without this. It's, it's, this is a deal breaker. Nothing's really ever a zero. So that's why I didn't pick zero. Everything matters to us at some small micro level. And so I teach people to ask themselves two questions. And one is, how important is this to me? How much does this mean to me? How important is this to me? And rank it from two to 10. And then the second question is, how much is this impacting my life? And if either of those questions is above a five or a six, then it's a conversation that needs to be had. But if either of those, if both of those is below a four or five, it's a conversation you can just toss. That's when you can press the abort button. And I think I've had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> so yeah, I am trying to put that into practice. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, no, I like I like that. I like the way you've described it, Jody. I think it's I think it, it it's fighting the or sort of not fighting is the wrong word, but only dealing with the important issues at that point. And not the ones that I think we are getting Yeah, we are. Definitely. And we do use a lot of humor to diffuse it. So the smaller ones. Yes. Yeah. On, in jokes. Humor is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. This two or ten scale and it's on my if you go to my website just go to jodycarlton.com and scroll down a little bit you'll see the battle buster system there and you, there's a, a printout you can just toss it on your mirror on your bathroom mirror whatever you but the, the where this was developed was when i was i was actually dating a man after my divorce who was autistic and we developed this scale together and I remember we started using it in our own relationship and then I started using it with my clients and now people just love this and I use it with my family and with my kids and my autistic daughter and just with everybody. And, but I remember in my relationship with him, we would be starting to have, you know, a disagreement about something and we'd be feeling that, that tension coming on. And then one of us would stop and say, is this a two or a 10 for you? And we'd both assess it at the same time. And, and we'd both just click each other and say, this is a three. And the other one was like, yeah, this is a three. And we'd be like, okay, 
what are we doing? And we would, it, it was like instant. We would both just like, okay. And it would be over instantly the minute we both realized it was not even a, a three for either one of us. We'd laugh, like you said, we would insert humor and it would just be over immediately. What I like about it is you're working together. Yes. Coming at it from different, you know, corners, you're suddenly doing the same thing and you're on a team and you're actually communicating. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, we have had plenty to chat about here. And I just want to say again, I'm so glad that the two of you decided to be on the show today. And is there anything else you want to add or share with our listeners before we wrap it up today? No, no. I think, you know, for me, I found that really helpful. So thank you so much for having us. Yeah, me too. It's really, really good. Thank you. You are welcome. And if you'd like to be on uh, any other time, just uh, let us know. Okay. Okay. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Remember to tune in each week for a new episode of your neurodiverse relationship podcast. Now, remember, this is your podcast and I want to talk to you. Share with me your personal experiences with neurodiversity. If you're a professional working with autism, I'd also like to talk to you. To be a guest on the show, the link is in the episode description where you can book a time for a recorded chat with me. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any of the wonderful conversations we're having here and the relationship insights and tips that I have for you. Until next time.